You know, as I was uh, asked, uh, Brother Bell asked me a while ago, he said, will you preach in March? And I said, absolutely. So I started trying to think of what I wanted to, to preach on, and I decided to take a page out of Brother Jaden and Brother Lucas's book and just preach through a book of the Bible. <laughs> so that's what I've decided to do. We're going to go through the book of Philippians. Not all tonight, but <laughs> we're going to go through the book of Philippians. And uh, before we get started, uh, I'd like to offer a word of prayer before uh, we get going here. So. Lord, thank you so much for this time that we have together. Thank you for the, the blessing of fellowship in Christ. Please be with us now as we dive into your word. Lord, please guard me from error. And please sharpen all of us with your word. Thank you so much for the glory and praise that we're able to offer you. And thank you so, so much for the hope and salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, quick background on the book of Philippians. Uh, written between 60, 62 AD. Uh, obviously, as we see in verse 1, to the saints that are in Philippi. Now, Philippi is located in northeastern Greece, also called Macedonia. And it's actually named after Alexander the Great's father, who overtook the city and made it part of the Roman Empire in 168 BC. <clears throat> Paul founded this particular church in his second missionary journey, which is outlined in chapter 16 of Acts, verses 9 through 40. And what's interesting is that Paul founded this church after being told by the Holy Spirit that he was not to go to Asia to preach the word of God. It's almost as if God had a plan. <laughs> he had a reason for doing what he did, obviously. And, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Paul was led there after a vision that he had in Acts chapter 16, verse 9. This is one of the prison epistles, uh, also along with Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. So we have Paul here, and he's writing to the believers at Philippi. And most of the time when Paul does a greeting, it's to the saints at church such and church so. But he also takes a moment here to address the bishops and the deacons. And I don't know about y'all, but I kind of feel like at times the, <clears throat> some of these things are, are it, it seems as if the bishops, the deacons, the people who are in positions of authority in the church, they seem to, to, to get these things a little more. But Paul here is addressing everybody. So every believer is important. That's something we can take from this, that Paul is not just addressing the leaders, not just addressing the people who would stand behind a pulpit or would, who would you know, lead a church congregation. He's addressing everybody because we all have that commonality. We have that commonality in Christ. We're all saints in Jesus Christ. And so as we move forward to verse two, another common greeting of Paul, grace be unto you and peace from God, our father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here identifying that where that grace comes from, it comes from God. It comes from Jesus Christ. It's not grace that Paul conjured up on his own. It's not grace that we as believers have in and of ourselves. It's from God. And I think that's something very key that we have to, to hang on and to grasp on, is that grace comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this common greeting that Paul does in a lot of his epistles, and he's also thankful. We see him being thankful here that he can remember those at Philippi 
in his prayers. He, he thanks God in verse 3, Upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. It's not just that he's remembering them. It's not just that I founded that church there, I should probably pray for them. He does it with joy. It means something to him. And as we read further on here in this passage here, it, it's emotional. A lot of times when we look at the other uh, epistles that Paul wrote, it's very, it almost seems cold because he's laying out doctrine. A lot of times he's having to rebuke churches. But here, there's a lot of love in this, in this passage here. There's a lot of, he had a deep affection for the church at Philippi. So he remembers them in his prayer. He makes requests with joy. And he's thankful to God for that. So Paul had this close fellowship with those at Philippi. Verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Now I told you all this is written between 60 and 62 AD. Roughly about 49 AD is when the church was founded. So this has been going on for a while. They've been faithful for a long time. And what a blessing it is to have Paul, who does, did so much for the body of Christ, to say that this church was faithful. To say that this church had been faithful from that day until now. What a blessing that must have been for those believers to hear, because at times we strive and we fight and we do what we can for the Lord... And it feels like we're not getting anywhere. Paul offering a word of encouragement here. And this fellowship that he talks about, it's, it's deep. It's fellowship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that bond as Christians that we have that you can't explain to somebody who's not in Christ. It's this deep affection that we know we serve the same master. We know what God has saved us from. And we have that fellowship with each other. I can go to another believer and know that the same God that saved me saved them. That's deep. That's beyond words that we can really express. And it doesn't stop there. We see in verse 6 that being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is continuous. Two things. They're trusting. This word confidence means trust. But being confident on the very thing that God has begun the work and that God will complete it. God will execute it. God will perfect it. That's so powerful. Because looking at this in the first century, these people who had to have church in their homes and had to hide from persecution, not knowing if they were going to live or die, but being confident that God has made the work, God has done the work, He will continue to do the work, He will perfect it. This is encouraging. This is... If we need to hear that here in 2023... How much more they needed to hear it back then. How much more persecution they suffered than we suffer. 
And again, this is very sentimental language here. This is loving. Paul has an affection for these people at Philippi. He really lays it out here in verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. Paul had seen and heard what had been going on at Philippi from when he brought the gospel till this point when he wrote this letter. They were consistent. They had trust in the gospel. They had trust in God. And it's not just that they defended the gospel. But they had, they defended it and they had confirmation and confidence in the gospel. To defend something that you don't believe in, it's just words. But these believers here, they, they trusted. It was ingrained in them to defend the gospel. It's not one or the other. They weren't giving lip service. They were the real deal. As confirmed by Paul writing this through inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Could they say that about us in America at Southside? So they are partakers of his grace, Paul says. The grace that was given to Paul is the same grace that we get. It's God's grace. It's from him. It has nothing to do with us. And then again, Paul does something very powerful here in verse 8. For God is my record how greatly I long after you in all, sorry, after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. He's calling God as a witness to testify to what he's saying here is true. That takes a lot of guts. <laughs> because God knows the truth. God is the embodiment of truth. So for Paul to make this statement, he better be able to back it up, and he can. He's being inspired through the Holy Spirit here. And I was, I was looking at this phrase here. How greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And when I was doing my, my looking in my research, the phrasing of this, it's deep language, but it would mean something different to somebody who was a Greek and somebody who was a Jew. Because they thought different. So the Greeks, they would look at this, it's, it's very passionate. Almost they would call it it's, it's a violent passion. It's It's emotional. But a Jew would see this as tender and kind and affectionate. So Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is utilizing language for his audience. Even though you have two groups of people who would look at things differently, they both can have an understanding of what is being said here. God can speak to all people. God created all people. He is the one who can communicate the gospel in a language and in a way that we can understand. But I long after you. This is, this is 
desire. This is deep. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Sometimes we have this concept that you have love and you have knowledge and that they're separate. But Paul doesn't separate them here. They're not contrary to each other. They're actually complementary. Because the love that Paul is describing here, it infiltrates and penetrates every aspect of our lives. Because it's love that comes from God. And if it penetrates there, it's going to penetrate our knowledge. It's going to penetrate our judgment, our perception, how we view things. Because it's love from the Creator. It's love from God. There are lots of examples in Scripture of how that love is stated. The one I really hung on when I was preparing for this was 1 John chapter 4, verses 15 through 21. 1 John 4, verses 15 through 21. And the Word of God reads, Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. That type of love described there can only come from God. There's no way that we can manifest that on our own. Because we're fallen creatures. We're human. We don't want to love people unconditionally as God calls us to. But that love that's described in 1 John is ours if we're in Christ. It's guaranteed. We have to act on it. And this love that is described here, it trickles in to our knowledge and our judgment. This is a, a, a precise type of knowledge. It's not vague. It's not the big man upstairs or the universe or anything like that. It's precise. The God of Scripture. The God of the Bible. That's the knowledge here. The judgment is based on what God says is acceptable and right and honorable. Because that's the source. God's not going to give us knowledge and judgment that goes contrary to Him. It doesn't work that way. God's not double-minded. So, this knowledge and this judgment that is supposed to be penetrated by the love that God gives us, how is that possible? Because we know from Scripture in Romans 13 that love fulfills the law. 
So this, this love that fulfills the law that dwells in us from God the Father, how is that possible? Because we are new creatures in Christ. It's done. It's accomplished. We are new creatures. Not we will be, but we are. So our knowledge, our judgment has to change. God's love has to penetrate all of that. Because as Paul moves forward in verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Approve things that are excellent. How are we to know what is excellent? How are we to judge that? Because God has changed us, his standards. God is the one who has done the work and now tells us to rely on that work, rely on how he has changed us to perceive what is around us. Not to be conformed to the world that we live in, what the world says is right, what God says is right. So God has done this work in them and in us that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere means unsullied in your soul. That's what God gives us. We don't have this corruptness in us anymore because God has taken it away. He has changed us. Do we fight? Do we battle with the world, with ourselves? Absolutely. But the victory has been won because we are in Christ. So when we fail, it's us failing. But this does have an end. Until Christ comes. Because when Christ comes, things will be made as they're supposed to be. We will not be as we are now. We will be changed will be perfect. And we will be in his presence. Fully in his presence. It's veiled right now. We can only see so much. But look at the amazingness that we get to see. We get to see people come to the Lord, bow the knee to him, and be changed. That's what we get to see. How much more glorious that's going to be on the other side of eternity. Finally, last verse in the passage here for this evening. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Being filled. Not just a little bit, not a drop here or there. Filled. With the fruits of righteousness. The way this is worded It's an action that has already happened. You come to Christ, you're given the Holy Spirit, you're filled. But it has ramifications and you see the effects of it in the present. God has filled us with his spirit when we were saved. And we still see that going on now as we walk with the Lord. 
It didn't just happen back here and that's it and there's no more. No, it's continuous. It happened here, but it's still moving forward. And these, this fruit, I'm sorry, the fruits of righteousness are from Christ. And in case we were to think that God does things for no reason, for arbitrary reasons, we see that these fruits of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus, are for a purpose. Unto the praise and glory of God. This feeling that he's given us, this love that we show, this love that infiltrates our knowledge and our judgment, it's for him. It's for his praise and glory. It's not for us. It's for him. To keep that in mind when things are not going the way that I want them to go. In this moment, when I don't feel like I'm filled with the fruits of righteousness by Jesus Christ, I can take comfort in this scripture here that says, I am. Because he says that I am. That's the testimony of Scripture, that we hang on to that fact. Because day to day, some days it doesn't seem like. But it's a fact of the matter because Scripture says so, that we are filled with the fruits of righteousness by Christ Jesus, that this love that he has given us shall abound more and more in knowledge and in judgment, and that he has begun the work and he will complete it. That's a promise better than anything that I can offer you, that any person in this world can offer anybody. That promise comes from God. Because he's done it. I'm not one for really titling sermons, but I know that we generally have to do this. Love may abound yet more and more. Because that's the point. God loved us when we were unlovable. God changed us when we needed changing. And this love and this worship and this praise that needs to permeate every fiber of our being can only come from God. And it's for a purpose, His praise, His glory. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity and desire to worship and to praise you. Please let us walk out of here, see us safely home, and to be your lights in the world on Monday morning and Monday afternoon and so on and so forth. Thank you so much for loving us when we didn't deserve it and for changing us when we so desperately need it. We praise you in all things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.